That's right, Bear Down Bears fans. It's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Windy City Gridiron and SB Nation. Bill Zimmerman with you, coming at you after a Chicago Bears victory, something we have not been able to say since September. Yes, the entire month of October came and went without a Bears victory, but they got back on track against a mediocre-to-be-kind Detroit Lions team and got themselves back in the win column, making their season record 4-5. and five. Plenty to get to today, including Danny Parkins. You know him as the host of The Score, McNeil and Parkins. He's got 8,000 other jobs, but we're going to be joined by Danny. Lots to get to with the Bears with him. And before we do, let me just give my thoughts on a few things. And I'm going to start, not with the Lions game, but with the Chicago Tribune's article on the selection of Mitch Trubisky. A great job there by Rich Campbell and Dan Werder. I, I think they, they got to a lot of things. I got a lot of information, a lot of sources on that. And look, it was, it was pretty eye-opening. And for those of you who listen to this podcast regularly, you know that I am a big Ryan Pace supporter. I really like what he's done with this team. But... The most important decision he has made since he has been the GM of the Chicago Bears is the selection of Mitch Trubisky. And with that in mind, he blew it with Mitch Trubisky. Now, every GM misses on important selections. And Ryan Pace clearly has done that with Mitch Trubisky. We have gone over it and over it on this podcast and and been plenty critical of Mitch here this season. However... I was okay with Ryan Pace missing on the pick because of all the other positives he's brought to this roster. What I was not okay with after reading that article is the lack of due diligence that Ryan Pace had in this selection process. I mean, you're talking about three first-round grade quarterbacks. Patrick Mahomes was a late first-round grade. But regardless, you're talking about three first-round quarterbacks in that 2017 draft between Mitch Deshaun and Patrick Mahomes. And if you fall in love with Trubisky out of those three, I'm okay with it. Ryan Pace was not alone in that assessment. But what you must do, what you have to do, is do your due diligence on all three. And Ryan Pace, assuming that article is accurate, and and I have every reason to believe that it is, ignored Deshaun Watson. Why on earth would you ignore a national championship caliber quarterback who led Clemson, who's been in big time football games, especially when Ryan Pace talked about how he loved college quarterbacks that have been on the big stage and elevated their, 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 their teams. I just cannot believe that Ryan Pace would sit there and go, well, I love Trubisky. This is my decision, period. If you really work out Mahomes and you really work out Watson and Trubisky and you come to the assessment that Trubisky is your guy, fine. But they did not, did not explore all their options. I mean, if you're going to make a major purchase on a car and you say you want a hybrid and, and you look at the hybrids, and again, I'm making this up. I'm not a car guy. There's the Prius. There's the Camry hybrid. I believe there's like a Honda Accord hybrid. You have it narrowed down to those three. And then you just say, I don't want the Honda Accord hybrid. Why? Uh, no reason. That doesn't make any sense. You want to examine all three and make the best decision possible. 
How does Ryan Pace not do that? How does he not take a long look at Deshaun Watson? Now, in the article, in the article, it also said that John Fox and Dave Ragone both thought Deshaun Watson was the guy that the Bears should draft. Now, clearly, when Ryan Pace hid the fact that he wanted Mitch Trubisky from John Fox until draft day, that wasn't a good working relationship. And I don't know, I'm speculating, if Ryan Pace's decision to not look at Deshaun Watson at all was because John Fox liked him, I have even more of a problem with it. I certainly hope that's not the case. I know Ryan Pace can be a little grudgy and be, you know, he's, he's a little bit of a different cat, so it wouldn't shock me if that's the case, but I certainly hope that's not the case. But, but here's the thing, what reasons are there to ignore a first-round caliber quarterback? One that has a lot more experience. One that had like, ah, it's it's mind blowing that Ryan Pace could be so, just, I don't want to say lazy, but just not going through this process thoroughly and properly. I mean, come on. I know he wants Drew Brees. He said it in his introductory press conference how much he loves Drew Brees. Did he see Mitch Trubisky as Drew Brees? Maybe, but it does not change the fact that you have to do your due diligence. This is a terrible job by Ryan Pace. This is the quarterback of the team. This is the face of the franchise. This is the guy who can cover up a lot of warts on your roster if he's an excellent player. And and Pace didn't do, didn't go through all the steps. He, he didn't take a strong look at everyone. I, I just... It really blows my mind because I think Ryan Pace is a pretty thorough GM. He does look at all avenues. He does kick the tires on everything. He does explore all possible options for his team. I thoroughly believe that. So how he could fail to do that on such an important decision is really just, it just really boggles my mind. And I, I am thoroughly disappointed. And, and, and I'll tell you, my confidence meter in Ryan Pace took a hit. I, I've been very confident, you know, the, the the hot seat meter, so to speak. I had it, you know, as if one is burning and, and 10 is, is is cool. I had it at 10 for, for quite a while. And, and, and because this season hasn't gone well, it dropped to maybe a nine for me. But there was no way this was launching up to, to a sizzling seat. Uh, my, my confidence meter now, that, that drops it to a seven, maybe even a six. I do not like what I heard there. So that, that is a major, major problem for me. But look, this is the roster that's presented itself. Ryan Pace is going to have to fix this roster in the offseason. Not that it has a ton of problems, but it does have some serious holes at tight end and at quarterback. And he is going to have to figure out a way to repair this roster and put them back in Super Bowl contention next season. That's not going to be easy. Look, you're going to have some big names out there like Cam Newton, potentially, that the Bears could go after. Be curious to see what they do there. But they're going to have to do something, and they're going to have to figure it out. This is a very critical offseason, not just for the Bears, but for Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy. They must improve the quarterback play on this roster. There's no question in my mind. Now, speaking of the quarterback play, let's take a look at this Detroit Lions game because a lot of fans got, I think, overly excited about this win. Look, I'm glad this team won. They needed a win. They desperately needed a win. That locker room was starting to splinter. They really needed to get things back on on track. But you cannot get overly excited about this game. I mean, look, this is a Detroit Lions team that's not very good. This is a Detroit Lions team that was on the road and... This team 
did not have their starting quarterback, who's arguably their best player in Matt Stafford. Jeff Driscoll was the quarterback the Chicago Bears beat and only beat by a touchdown. And Driscoll had them threatening at the end of the game. That That is not a, a victory that should put anyone overly confident that this team has turned the quarter. Mitch Trubisky threw for, what, 165 yards? I get it. He had a really nice stretch there with, with the three touchdown passes. He, he looked confident, in, and he threw that, that Broniker pass was an excellent pass. Mitch Trubisky showed a little flash, a little talent. That's the same Mitch Trubisky we saw last year that wouldn't put it all together for a game, but would show us glimpses, which is why a lot of Bears fans had hope. But now we're sitting here going, now we need to see more. And Mitch Trubisky, that game, that wasn't enough for me. This offense was flat for 90% of the game. This offense in nine drives that weren't the three touchdown drives had three first downs. They went for two for 12 on third down. They struggled in the run game again at 226 yards of offense. The Lions with Jeff Driscoll, 75 plays to 52 plays. They lost the time of possession battle. There are so many things. Mitch Trubisky took five sacks. There are so many things that were bad about this game. I am not going to sit here and rah-rah this team and go, all right, they've turned the corner, and here it is. No, this team still has way too many problems. Now, my, my biggest problem with all of this is the fact that the quarterback play is amplifying all these other issues. And when that's the case, you just can't get past the quarterback play, and it's still, it still wasn't where it needed to be. That it was not even an average performance. I understand he had a high quarterback rating because of the three touchdown passes and no interceptions. But that performance was not good enough for me for Mitch Trubisky. It wasn't. That is not enough for me to even give a glimmer of hope that he is turning the corner. Can he be a little better? Sure. But that's that's nowhere near where Mitch Trubisky needs to be. So this does not change my opinion at all. Now, I'm going to throw this out here. This is for fun. I do not believe this to truly be the case. But I got a few tweets after this victory about fans wanting to know about the playoff picture and if the Bears still have a chance. So I tweeted this out, and I will bring it up here as well. The Bears, if you are a optimistic Bears fan, and you must be the most optimistic of Bears fans, their path to the playoffs is through the Minnesota Vikings. Forget the division winners, and those guys are really starting to separate themselves between the Saints and the 49ers. The Seahawks are also looking like they're going to be a wildcard team, regardless of who wins that division. And obviously, the Seahawks made it a little more interesting, but the Seahawks and Niners put them in the playoffs. The Saints put them in the playoffs. The Eagles or Cowboys, one of those two teams is getting in the playoffs. The Packers almost certainly are getting in the playoffs. So what does that mean? For the Bears, it means to get a wild card, they have to catch the Vikings. Now, to do that, let's be realistic and say this team is not running the table. Now, it's not realistic really to say this team can go 10 and 6, but let's at least use that as an example. If the Bears can beat the Rams this week, which is a huge, huge if, and if the Bears can beat the Cowboys, that's another team that they need to get a tiebreaker against. If they can beat those two teams, and then obviously they need to take care of business against the Giants and the Lions. That gives them a nice little winning streak here, a little momentum going into those final three games of the season and puts their record at eight and five. 
Now that doesn't guarantee them anything, but if they are sitting at eight and five, and you better be an optimistic Bears fan to think they're going to be sitting at eight and five, but if they do, then they can sit there and split the next two games with the Packers and Chiefs, get themselves to nine and six going into that last game of the year against the Vikings. Now the Vikings, who currently sit with a much better record, with with a seven and three record, they still have to play at Seattle. If you can confidently say that they will probably lose that game, and I think they will, that's their fourth loss. If they can drop one of their other games, that's all they have to do, drop one more game, get to the fifth loss, that means going into Week 17, they'll be 10-5. and five. The Bears, with a victory over the Vikings, would knot it up at 10-6. and six. That gives them the tiebreaker against the Vikings. That would give them the tiebreaker against the Cowboys. That would give them the tiebreaker against the Rams. And they'd have the tiebreaker against the Carolina Panthers due to the fact that the with the losses the Bears have accrued in the AFC, they'd be guaranteed, if it played out this way, to have a better conference record than the Panthers. So the only outlier would be the Eagles. But again, if you beat the Cowboys, you're going to start propelling the Eagles into much better shape in the NFC East. And if that happens, if all that happens, then yes, the Chicago Bears would make the playoffs. So if you want to say there's a glimmer of hope, sure, there's a glimmer of hope. But I said this team was dead on arrival after that debacle against New Orleans. Nothing that has happened since then has changed my mind. I don't care if they've won a game. Now, the last thing I just want to address briefly is Colin Kaepernick. And no, we are not going political with Colin Kaepernick. But I've seen a lot of, you know, Colin Kaepernick's got this workout on Saturday for NFL teams. I've seen a lot of people questioning if the Bears should do it. 100% the Bears should do it. Now, I'm not a huge Colin Kaepernick fan as a football player. I think Jim Harbaugh utilized him well. He's, he's an athlete. He can be a threat. However, Colin Kaepernick, the quarterback, He's not that great. His statistics aren't overwhelming. He's he's okay. And the way he was playing at the tail end before he missed the last three seasons, he was a low-level starter, maybe even a high-end backup. Now he hasn't played football for three years. So I don't expect Colin Kaepernick to be in a situation where he is going to light up the sky for whatever team signs him, if a team signs him. But the Chicago Bears, with a quarterback situation that they have, they 100% need to send a representative to watch Colin Kaepernick. I would not send Ryan Pace, because if you send the top dog there, you are sending a message that you are thoroughly, thoroughly looking at this guy. And while they should be, they shouldn't be sending a public message like that when Mitch Trubisky is as mentally fragile as he is. And folks, he he's mentally fragile. There's no other way around it, especially if you read that Ryan Pace article in the Tribune. They talked about how he is crumbling under his own pressure that he's putting on his shoulders. So that is a problem for sure, Trubisky's mental status. But Colin Kaepernick, you've got to take a look at him if you're the Chicago Bears. Again, it's about due diligence, something Pace didn't do clearly when he selected Mitch Trubisky, and he better start doing now because they need to fix the quarterback position next season that they cannot miss. Now, let's take a quick break because when we get back, we are going to be joined by the scorer's Danny Parkins. This is Bears Banter. We'll be back in a minute. All right, welcome back into the podcast. And as promised, here he is at Danny Parkins on Twitter. Afternoon drive on 670 The Score with McNeil and Parkins. And he's kind enough to join us now in between one of his 7,000 other jobs. Danny, Bill Zimmerman, how are you? What's up, Bill? Always happy to add another job. This isn't a job. This is talking to you. <laughs> well, I appreciate you jumping on. And obviously, I was thinking about starting with the, the Lions game, but until... Uh, 
Earlier in the week when the Chicago Tribune put out an article with uh, with this Ryan Pace and the decision to draft Mitchell Trubisky, and I'll, I'll just give you my quick thought on it, and, and then I'll let you jump in because I know you had a lot to say on the score about this. My, my whole problem with this is not so much that you miss on Mitch Trubisky. There were plenty of respected NFL analysts, you know, scouts, whatever you want to say, that thought Trubisky was probably the best quarterback out of this bunch. My problem is the lack of due diligence, because when you have three first round grade quarterbacks and you look at basically one and a half of them, that's a problem to me. Yeah, there's no question about it. I think that's most people's problem now, right? Like, it's obviously true that drafting Mitch Trubisky over Deshaun Watson and Pat Mahomes was the wrong decision from an evaluation standpoint. But I think we've long since passed the anger or grief stage with that part of it, right? We're well into acceptance. And plenty of respected people, as you noted, had Trubisky as the best of the bunch. He was in, seen as the most moldable, right? Like Deshaun Watson was seen as the finished product who had the slender frame, quote-unquote, who had already had an ACL injury, even though he had come back and played in two national championship games since. And Pat Mahomes was seen as the guy with the most raw talent, but from a system that had never translated to the NFL and who might be impossible to harness because he just freelanced. He didn't play within the confines of the system. Whereas Trubisky, 6'3", 220, supreme accuracy, seemingly all upside, hadn't been coached incorrectly because he hadn't played that much. So the ability to mold him into exactly your version of what a modern NFL quarterback is supposed to be, that logic is fine, right? We're all fine with that. But when you say that you were obsessed with finding a franchise quarterback of the Bears and that it was a rare opportunity to be the team that had the opportunity to select the first quarterback in a given class, and you are willing to go to pretty extreme lengths to meet with Pat Mahomes and meet with Mitch Trubisky, right? They did not bring either of them to Hallis Hall. They didn't want that to get out in terms of their interests, so they had like clandestine meetings with both of them in Chapel Hill and in Lubbock. Uh, Ryan Pace famously went to the Sun Bowl in a disguise, uh, bought a ticket instead of a press pass to look at Mitch Trubisky. He had him make a dinner reservation at a steakhouse, and he used an alias, James McMahon, for Jim McMahon, which is something that apparently Ryan, uh, Ryan Pace became infatuated with. And you then learn from Rich Campbell and Dan Wiederer in the Tribune that they didn't do that for Deshaun Watson. The question becomes why? Like if you're obsessed with finding a quarterback and the guy who not only beat Alabama, but had over 900 yards of offense in two meetings against Alabama and eight touchdowns and beat Oklahoma and beat Ohio State and beat Lamar Jackson at Louisville, and beat Notre Dame, and beat Florida State when they were a top-10 team, and beat Auburn, and won the Davey O'Brien Award twice, and was the runner-up for a Heisman Trophy. Like He was the best player in college football over a two-year body of work playing against the best competition at quarterback, and you don't even want to break bread with the man? It, it makes no sense, and I would argue that it's unforgivable. I'm not saying it's fireable now because he built that defense and they won last year and they extended him on a contract. Like I'm not calling for his firing, but 
it absolutely is an indefensible position to take that somehow through film or a 15-minute combine interview to Sean Watson wasn't worth working out one-on-one because who knows if his personal character wows you in the room, if his intellect, both for football and life, wows you in the room. If asking him about growing up, bouncing from home to home in tremendous poverty, uh, ending up in a Habitat for Humanity house built for and paid for by Warwick Dunn's charity arm, how that changed him as a man, wows you in the room, or overcoming his mother's cancer diagnosis and that personal adversity wows you in the room. Like How you don't fully vet Deshaun Watson when he had his pedigree and his resume before that draft is baffling to me yeah and, and you hit all the nails on the head there I, I completely agree with you because I, I've never faulted them for for and it, look apparently they did like Patrick Mahomes but Mahomes to me was one of these guys he was this you know this second round pick maybe a late first round pick and then right before the draft you know that he catapults up the Chiefs grab him grab him a 10 with the big trade I've never really faulted him for that because that's not someone that I really would have thought they would have looked at with the third overall pick but obviously they looked at Trubisky and obviously they looked at Watson and and to like what what you were saying about you know meet with Watson and maybe you get wowed. I mean everything we've ever heard about the Trubisky and you know infatuation that Ryan Pace had over him was that you know he had the dinner the James McMahon dinner that you mentioned and that dinner was where he basically fell in love with Trubisky. So how he doesn't do that for a guy like Watson and look at and look Deshaun Watson had made no beefs about it before the draft when he was saying, you know, basically, if the Bears don't draft me and draft Mitch Trubisky, they're going to be sorry. I mean, this is the kind of confidence that you got to like to have in, in your quarterback. And I know he kind of liked that humble, you know, Mitch Trubisky kind of reminded him maybe of Drew Brees, which we know he always talked about wanting the next Drew Brees. But the idea of ignoring a quarterback, like you said, with that pedigree, knowing you need – this is the most important position – this is the most important decision he's going to make at the most important position for this franchise, and he didn't fully vet the quarterbacks available in the draft. It's just for a guy who really kicks the tires and seems to do his due diligence everywhere else, how he didn't do it here is is baffling. Yeah, and honestly, I'm not 100% sure that we can give him the credit of fully doing his due diligence everywhere else. Like I think that this fits into a larger picture and narrative around Ryan Pace, that he is a true scout, right? He's, he's used to, in, in terms of his background, being one of many voices in a room and having to advocate for his player to the ultimate decision maker and whether that, that GM goes with his recommendation or not, like he has to advocate for his prospects. And it seems like now, since Ryan Pace has become the general manager of the Bears, that a recurring theme, sometimes with success, sometimes with failure, has been that he says on the record, I don't want to live with regret. I want to be aggressive if it results in me getting my guy so that we don't have to have some sort of like fallback option B you know, type of plan where you feel like resigned and settled into selecting a player, right? He made the most aggressive offer with draft picks and financial compensation to Khalil Mack, biggest defensive transaction in the history of the NFL. We know about all of his draft day trades, trading up for Anthony Miller, trading up for David Montgomery, trading up from three to two for Mitch Trubisky when there's obviously debate on whether or not 
that was necessary to move up one spot. Like Ryan Pace is aggressive, and this is something that I've praised him for uh, in the past, but it seems to me like he gets tunnel vision and he says, all right, this is my guy. I'm the smartest man in the room. I want Adam Shaheen from Ashland College because this is my picture of a tight end. Or I want Mitch Trubisky from North Carolina because this is my picture of a quarterback. And he ignores his head coach, his quarterback coach, which the Tribune article said both uh, John Fox and the QB coach preferred Deshaun Watson over Mitch Trubisky or Pat Mahomes. And listen, I'm not saying John Fox is some offensive genius. I'm not saying at all that he should have been the quarter, the coach of the quarterback of the future, whoever Ryan Pace selected. It was clearly his decision. But you do have to wonder if he just put blinders on and said, this is my guy above all else. And it seems like this is a recurring theme with Ryan Pace, sometimes for success, sometimes for failure. And it seems like at quarterback, it was for failure. It, it, it certainly does. And you brought up, that was where I was going to go next, the John Fox, Dave Ragone aspect of this, that they both really liked Watson, which to me opens up the door to a whole other can of worms. Not only the fact that, like you said, is he just basically picking his guys? Is he not utilizing his staff? What, what was the reasoning behind? Look, when your head coach goes, look, I really think Deshaun Watson's the guy for this team. I think that's the direction we should go. And not only do you ignore his advice, you you don't even clue him into the idea that Mitch Trubisky was the direction he was leaning towards going for months prior to the draft. The fact that this, look, I think John Fox was, I don't want to say foisted on him, but I think it was a group decision with Ernie Accorsi and, and, and management. It wasn't just Ryan Pace dubbing a guy. I got the idea of the young GM and the experienced head coach. It made sense at the time. But clearly, when you see that kind of disconnect between head coach and GM going in here, and it's you know it was rumored before, and it's certainly verified by this article, that 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 is not a, a working relationship that, that, that they can have any kind of success with. Correct. And again, nobody thought that John Fox had tremendous offensive qualification, right? So no one can sit here with a straight face and Monday morning quarterback this thing and say, John Fox should have had the loudest voice in the room for selecting the quarterback of the future of the Chicago Bears when nobody would want him to be the coach of said quarterback, right? Like, that's not a fair criticism and one I'm not willing to levy against Ryan Pace and his selection process. However, you do have to ask the question of why is he there? Like, if you can't trust him or you're not willing to listen to him, then he should have just been fired a year earlier and you should have been removed from the equation entirely, and you should have never gone through the entire Mike Glennon, John Fox, Dave Ragone charade, and then you should have never put Mitch Trubisky in after four games and exposed him to a system that he was never going to run with. Like That was clearly a very awkward transition period that was prolonged with serious detriments, not only in the selection of the quarterback, but the development of the quarterback you ended up selecting. One question I've always wanted to ask Ryan Pace, but he never makes himself available, is if you could do it all over again, would you have just sat Mitch Trubisky for that entire season? Like, were those 12 games throwing to Kendall Wright and Josh Bellamy and Marcus Wheaton in a Dave Ragone, John Fox system, Dow Loggins? Like, was that 
was that actually helpful or did it stunt his development because he experienced so much failure? He had to be in another offense, right? So his offense in North Carolina, his rookie year offense, and then three years, three offenses when Matt Nagy comes in. And I think we're seeing it now where you should play Daniel Jones in New York early because you've already hired your offensive coach and Pat Shermer. But Jared Goff really ha- was stunted because he played with Jeff Fisher before they brought in Sean McVay. Like, I'm all for playing rookie quarterbacks as early as possible on their rookie deals because it's such a tremendous advantage in football to get a player at that position playing for that cheaply but only if you're playing them in a system that they're going to be in for a long time. And I I really think the Bears, through this whole process, like obviously they messed up who they should have had at quarterback, but I think because of that dysfunction that you're alluding to, they also significantly stunted whatever development was possible in Mitch Trubisky. Yeah, and and I think that's a fair point. And my question on that is, look, when the Bears fired – Mark Tressman. That was the first time in franchise history that they fired a head coach with two years left on his contract. This is an organization that does not traditionally eat a lot of salary at the head coach position. Now, basically, Tressman was being paid for the first two years of John Fox's tenure. And I do wonder, I know Phillips and I know McCaskey have said they've taken a step back and kind of give Ryan Pace full reins, which is is good because they're not football guys and obviously Ryan Pace is. But my question is, I really wonder if management got involved there, because like you said, you know, it doesn't make sense to throw Trubisky into a random offense that clearly there was a fracture between GM and head coach going into that season already. I really wonder if they said we are not paying a head coach, two head coaches, I should say, for four consecutive years, which is what they would have been doing. Yeah, I mean, I think that that is clearly a part of it that, as good as reporters always cover the Bears, we'll probably never get an answer to because, you know, there's like less than a handful of people in the world who know exactly what financial resources they're willing to deploy on that sort of thing, right? Coaches' salaries aren't on the salary cap. So we'll probably never know that definitively, but I think it's absolutely, given the history of the team, a fair question to ask. And then the other part of this, at least to me, is Ryan Pace got a contract extension. He's going to be here. Matt Nagy is going to be here. So now Matt Nagy will be in that John Fox role, but hopefully more aligned with Ryan Pace because, as you alluded to earlier, he was not foisted upon him, right? This was Ryan Pace's guy. And I still believe in Matt Nagy as a head coach because I believe in this system, and I believe once you have a smart, mobile, accurate quarterback to execute the system – It can operate at a very, very high level in the NFL. The question now is when Ryan Pace self-scouts his own mistake in the process of drafting Mitch Trubisky, he's got to be real honest with himself. Did he not look as hard at Deshaun Watson as he should have because John Fox told him to? Like, was he just so prideful, smug, arrogant, independent, like whatever you want to, whatever adjective you want to frame it as the most negative or the most beneficial like interpretation of what happened was Ryan Pace too anti Fox that he just became anti Watson. And then he never even considered the possibility because that is just such a tremendous failure of an executive. Like you can listen to John Fox say to Sean Watson's the guy give Deshaun Watson that look, and then still turn around and fire John Fox. Like, those two things are not mutually exclusive. 
And I think that it was a critical mistake of Ryan Pace's tenure with the Bears that, frankly, I don't think he'll ever recover from. Yeah, it's it, look, I mentioned actually that at the beginning of the podcast. This was was it possible that the the idea that Fox liked him the reason because there's like you said, it just doesn't make sense that you would ignore a player like that. So should you sit there and say maybe your GM basically didn't look at a key player out of spite? You certainly don't hope so, but it certainly seems like it might be a possibility here. Now, we've spent a lot of time on this, so I want to ask you about Mitch Trubisky, the quarterback, and what you saw against the Detroit Lions, because for me, look, three touchdowns, no picks, that's great to see, and and that little short spurt, you know, we saw again the flash of what Mitch Trubisky in theory – could be, but for the other 54 minutes or, or whatever it was of this football game, we saw an anemic offense yet again in my eyes. Yeah, there's no question that that's what it was. And Mitch Trubisky is at a point where he will have a legitimate gripe in terms of the conversation around him, right? If he says, hey, when I throw zero touchdowns and two picks, I get crushed and, then I, and we lose – and then I throw three touchdowns and no picks, and we win, the praise is not equal. And that's because the number of good performances is not close to the number of bad performances, right? Like this offense is still horrible. His numbers relative to his peers are still horrible. It's too inconsistent. They were 2 of 12 on third down. There were seven three and outs. Uh, the Lions are bad right, especially on the defensive side of the ball. They eked out a win at home over a team quarterbacked by Jeff Driscoll. Like, no one's going to come out of that game feeling very good, especially when they sit four and five in a year where there were Super Bowl expectations. But I do think, in fairness, Mitch Trubisky is not the only problem with the offense, right? Matt Nagy's play calling at times has undeniably been questionable, most notably when he only ran the ball seven times. They lead the league in drops. There's way too many pre-snap penalties uh, along that offensive line. There was, you know, the spot early in the game. They couple of nice plays. They get to a third and three. All of a sudden, false start, third and eight. You go from third and manageable to third and long because of a pre-snap penalty. Like, Mitch Trubisky is also not being helped by the guys around him, but he's clearly still the biggest problem here. Is it possible that he salvages this and has a good career? Yeah. It's possible. Would I bet on it? Absolutely not. Yeah, and and what I would say about about Trubisky's play because look, and 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 when people interact on Twitter, I'm sure you see the same thing, you know, regularly on on your show and and on social media. They always say, "Oh, well, look at that throw to Barnacar, and look at the throw he had against the Redskins to, to Gabriel." And, and uh, that's the that's the quarterback. That's why he's going to be great. And no one says that Mitch Trubisky isn't capable of of great things at the NFL level because he was the number two pick in the draft. He's obviously got talent. So, and and, and like you said, it's it's the number of poor performances versus the number of positive performances. And for me, it's not the plays Mitch Trubisky is making. Why I. Th- think that he's not going to succeed as a starting quarterback in the NFL. It's the plays he's not making on a regular basis. Yeah, he misses some easy ones. There's no consistency there. He definitely has wow play ability. Uh, Matt Nagy pointed it out yesterday, and he's exactly right. Uh, The third down play in the third quarter, like the 14-minute mark, is the first drive, stands in the pocket, avoids his body, like twists his body a little bit uh, to avoid getting absolutely crushed, delivers a 30-something yard strike over a defender to Allen Robinson down the left uh, seam, 
very impressive high-level throw, right? He flashes real high ceilings. But first, I think first pass of the game, maybe second pass of the game, when it's the little dump off into the, you know, on the swing pattern out of the backfield, he throws it high and guy comes down and catches it. But it's like, come on, that's got to be right in his pocket, you know, so he can catch it in stride, run, turn up field, and maximize the yards. Like sometimes he just misses the, the little things. I think the problem with Trubisky is between the ears. I think that he is the guy who the boos get to him, the comments on social media get to him, Mahomes and uh, Watson's success get to him, that he's like a workaholic, football addict, perfectionist, who when he has either doubt around him or struggles, tenses up. And, he, and you've got to be able to play – you've got to forget about the interception and come back the next time, right? And so I, I think that is his problem, is that if he has early success, he can, he can get it rolling. If he gets a nice throw, it's likely that he'll make another nice throw. But for too long, he can be just trapped in this paralyzed state of fear and hyperanalysis – and it leads to him just making way too many mistakes. If he can get over that mental hurdle, he's salvageable. But he's had, what, 35 games to do it, and he's not there yet. Yeah, and, and I, I completely agree. I think it's 100% behind the ear or in, in between the ears. I think he's putting way too much pressure on himself, and he's 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 buckling under it. And I mean, I mean, for me, like the the TV thing with with Hallis Hall and turning off the TVs, which got I think got blown out of proportion, and people were having way too much fun with it. I may even have jumped in a little bit myself. But here here's my thing. He's saying, "Oh, I'm sick of all the criticism our team's getting, so we're flipping off the TVs." Basically, was the the gist of what he said. Well, when when I have the TVs on. I don't see people really, I mean, a little bit, but you don't really see people criticizing the defense or criticizing the linebacker player, criticizing the wide receivers. Sure, it mixes in there from time to time, but 90% of the criticism is being directed at the quarterback. Now, he may mask it in a different way, but to me, that's just another thing that shows that that things are getting to him. And if you're going to be successful at quarterback at the NFL level, it's not something you can do. Yeah, listen, did that get blown out of proportion? Sure, but that's what happens in the NFL when you're struggling and you're a marquee player, right? Like, that's why quarterbacks get the prom queen. That's why Jared Goff gets $110 million. Like, that, that's the game. I'm sorry. You could say it's not fair. You could say that you shouldn't contribute to it or whatever. No one was saying that Mitch Trubisky was literally standing on top of chairs, like unplugging the backs of TVs and, like, asking maintenance staff for the remote control to turn on C-SPAN. Like, no one thought that that was a literal thing. But are you going to joke about it? Is the imagery hilarious? Does it fit into the larger narrative of him deleting social media during the season, Him, uh, his coach saying on the record that his confidence was not where it should be and they need to build him back up? Uh Yes, like it is absolutely a relevant talking point in a larger narrative about how Mitch Trubisky is dealing with these struggles and failures and the critique and criticism of his play. I mean, Eddie Jackson came out after the first week and said on my show that the boos are affecting Mitch Trubisky when it comes from the hometown. So, like, that's fine. That's honest. I'm not saying it wouldn't affect me either. But people who were saying that the criticism or that was blown out of proportion to a point where it wasn't, in fact, relevant, that's just not true. 
it's absolutely a part of the calculus with what's happening with this quarterback. All right, 10-second answer. Who do you want quarterbacking the Bears in 2020? Pat Mahomes. Realistically, who do you want the Bears <laughs> oh, quarterback oh, in 2020? My, my, my mistake. You didn't, you didn't put that caveat in there. <laughs> um, I want the Bears to – huh. I guess Cam Newton, Colin Kaepernick, and Mitch Trubisky for a three-person training camp Bourbonnet competition. Mainly because I'm rooting for the story, uh, but yeah, that's that's what I would say. All right, I'll I'll, I'll go with that. Yeah. I, I like that. All right, there he is at Danny Parkins on Twitter. I kept him way too long. Really appreciate your time, Danny. Thanks so much, Bill. Anytime, man. Thank you. All right, there he is, Danny Parkins of the score at Danny Parkins on Twitter. Great interview there. Lots of great info from Danny. Lots of great opinions, and that's exactly where a lot of Bears fans are right now. Is They're frustrated with Ryan Pace. They're frustrated with this quarterback. They're frustrated with this team. They're frustrated on multiple levels. So let's hope the Bears can beat the Rams this week. Because if they do, it gives you a little hope on this season. I'm not saying this team's going to make the playoffs. But if you can beat the Rams on the road, not that the Rams are great, but that certainly means you can beat the Giants, you can beat the Lions, you can beat the Cowboys at home. That level of team, that means the Bears can compete with. So it would at least give a little excitement to the rest of the season. So let's hope for a victory this week. I'm not expecting it at the Rams. Not an easy place to win, even if they aren't playing at a high level. So we'll see what happens this week, and we'll talk about it next week. That's going to do it for Bears Banter. Bill Zimmerman here. We'll talk to you next week, everybody. Adios. Bear down.